Welcome to Performance Talk with your host, Ewell Gordon and Chris Costa, where professionals discuss the latest news and developments in the profession and all areas that affect sports performance, strength and conditioning, nutrition, recovery, and much more. Listen now to your host and this week's guest next on Performance Talk. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season six and episode one of this iteration of the Performance Talk. My name is Yule Gordon. My partner, Chris Costa, is sending me messages right now. Uh, he may make it in, uh, but, oh, nope, he got tied up. So it looks like uh, me and our guest today, and our guest today is Vicki Bendis, and we want to thank you for coming on and joining us for the first episode of this season six. How are you, Vicki? I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on here. Season premiere. Very excited. Yes, indeed. Uh, episode one, season six, the 101st episode of the entire podcast. We are excited about this year. We got a lot of new stuff going on and uh, we get to kick it off with you. We've tried to get you on a couple of times, Yeah. Uh, but we bring in guests primarily because we try to choose them based on what we think our audience will like. My daughter's in the profession, so she says, Dad, where's the women? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said, well, I put out the invitations, you know, not, uh, you know, I, I guess I could put out a, a few more and I need to do better by that. But we just kind of take them as they come. But we actually, ladies and gentlemen, we actually sought Vicky out because of her resume. And Vicky, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I'm currently a lead sport performance coach here at Brock University, which is in uh, St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada. I'm responsible for our men's and women's hockey teams, our men's and women's soccer teams. And then we also have a, a pretty rock solid wrestling program here, varsity wrestling program. And I don't right. work with the varsity athletes, but we have a group of national team wrestlers that that wrestle out of the, the Brock club and I'm responsible for them as well. So that's, those are kind of my main roles here at Brock. And then I'm currently the lead with our senior national women's hockey program here. She told you a little bit about her resume. Now let's tell us about, uh, let's talk about your history. Professional hockey player with the Canadian professional leagues, you know, yeah. on the national team. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, well, I think probably like a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, I was an athlete before I, I got into coaching. For me, growing up, I played uh, every sport under the sun, but hockey was always my my main focus. And I set the goal pretty early for myself, I think, that I, I really wanted to earn a, a college scholarship and go to university and, and get to play hockey. And I was very fortunate when I was, must have been, shoot, like grade six, grade seven, pretty young, that my dad had the foresight to, to set me up with my first strength and conditioning coach. And That's I didn't true. really... Yeah, I didn't really know it at the time, but I'd kind of hit the young strength coach lottery. My strength coach, her name was Sarah Applegarth. And as I kind of reflect back now that I'm a coach and I kind of am a little bit more educated on the topic than I was an athlete, but she was literally checking every box on the long-term athletic development pathway for me. She was building my, my physical literacy, teaching me how to, to sprint and hop and, and side shuffle, uh, teaching me the basics of strength training and of Olympic lifting. And that really kind of set me on a path as far as being a, a hockey player that allowed me to, I think, reach pretty close to my, my full performance potential. And that I'm very fortunate for. When I got to, to university, 
I went to Mercier's College and uh, got my first opportunity with the national team. Was able to to make our our national women's development team after my freshman year, which was really special to kind of get to to put on that jersey for a first time. And then by the end of my university career, I was able to make the senior national team and carry on after that and and keep playing with our senior program. I was able to make a world championship team in 2012 and then was with our Olympic program in 2014 for the Sochi Olympics, but unfortunately was one of the final cuts. So didn't kind of get to to realize that final goal. But after that, after 2014, came here to Brock, started my master's. And then after my master's transitioned into coaching. Listen, there's a lot of athletes out there that would, would like to have your career, but uh, more than more than anything else, there's a lot of athletes out there that would like to have to like to benefit from your experience of that career, and then your professional. What do I call it? Your professional. There you go. Every now and again, I lose words. Okay, me too. But but anyway, anyway, your professional uh, abilities as a strength coach and all those experiences that you bring to the table. So. Let me talk about, and you touched on it just a little bit with both your histories there, but I think our audience, one of the things we always ask is, how did you know you were headed towards a strength and conditioning profession? What did, you know, when you were in the university, did you say, oh, well, you know, I think I'll take that up? Or was it more like after you were done with your your playing career, you were just looking for something to do? Both ways are great. I know people who have been exceptionally, you know, productive in this profession coming from both directions, but how did it happen for you? Yeah, no, for me, I was, uh, during my undergrad, never interested in coaching actually at all. My undergrad was in biology pre-med and I, yeah, (laughs) so I was, (laughs) I actually, through my whole kind of high school career and, and university career was focused on becoming a doctor. And, you know, by my junior year, I was, I was writing my MCAT. I was preparing everything to apply to medical schools. But then I, I made that senior national team and, and realized that there was another path forward after graduating that I could possibly pursue being an athlete for a little bit longer and kind of get back to that medical school stuff uh, a little bit later. And when I was in university, I wasn't interested in, in coaching at all, but I got even more interested in strength and conditioning because we actually didn't have a strength and conditioning coach at my school. We were a smaller school, so my our assistant hockey coach did our strength and conditioning. And, you know, it's, it wasn't really his job to be trying to design training programs. That wasn't his right. area of expertise. And it was, it was pretty clear that just the programming wasn't kind of what we needed for that level. And so I kind of started to do my own research while I was still an athlete and, and searching around the internet and was, was fortunate to come across like Eric Cressy blogs and, and Mike Boyle. And right. Yeah, I was still an athlete and I was a member of, of strengthcoach.com, just trying to to read the forums and figuring out how coaches were training hockey players and then put together my own little training program so that I could feel like I was getting what I needed. So in university, interested in strength and conditioning, but not from a coaching standpoint, just to figure it out on my own kind of thing. Necessity is the father of or mother of, <laughs> you know, yeah, a whole lot of things. You know what I mean? They say, you know, some say invention, but I mean, talk a little bit about coming from a small school and having to, you know, understanding that there was more out there from a preparation and performance standpoint and, you know, actually going about this, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the steps you took 
joining strength.com, getting online and looking up stuff. So keep on going with that to go a little deeper in, into how you said, you know, how you determined, wow, I, I kind of need some more. For my brother and coaches out there, let me say, those of you who step in the weight room and take on the role of strength conditioning coach, God bless you. <laughs> we understand what it really is. Those of us who've done it before or do it now know that taking that role on is full time. And if you have a, an additional coaching job or you have a primary coaching job, you know how that goes, Vicki. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, like I said, I, I started with a strength and condition coach from a, a young age and I worked with one all the way through high school. So I, I kind of, when I got to university, had an understanding of what it, an athlete needs to, to train at that level holistically to what they needed from a strength perspective or a, an energy systems perspective, a speed perspective. And then when I got to university and, and we didn't have a strength coach, you know, it was clear where those, where those gaps were. And you know, as I mentioned with our assistant coach, like his full-time role was assistant coaching and, and the on-ice stuff. But then, you know, he has this other responsibility of, of trying to design training programs. And that's just, that's too much. Like a, a strength initiative job is that's far and above a, a full-time role. And, you know, across the, the NCAA, I think there's probably quite a range of how the sport performance departments kind of approach their, their staffing models and, and things right. like that. Right. So it's just, you know, it's very, very school dependent and, and I'm sure budget dependent. Absolutely. Uh, we've talked to many, many strength coaches from all levels, from the pro level down to the division three level or the NAI level where they're, they're just trying to hold a program together and provide some value added stuff to the athletes as they can. Yeah. And you would think that every school nowadays, high, all the way down to high school, they maybe even junior high had some type of strength and conditioning program. But just the, the truth of the matter is, is budget plays a big deal in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the ability to staff, sometimes you can have a budget, but you, you don't know where to get the staff or, or, or whatever the case may be. On, on this show, we talk about any range of things, but uh, as, as you've gone through your performance director, strength coaches, profession, talk about working with other professions within the performance realm, the athletic trainer, the psychology guy or girl or man or woman. I don't want to be politically incorrect. Uh, how about the uh, team doctor, the nutritionist? Talk about each one of those folks and in your experiences working with within your professional purview with those folks. Yeah, well, I, I'm really fortunate that my current manager here, Steve Lidstone, he's been amazing and been one of my mentors as a young coach kind of going through the process. One thing that, you know, he's very big on is is building that integrated support team around the athlete. You've got the strength coach, you've got the therapy, you've got the nutritionist, you've got the sports psych, you've got the head coach, and we're all working to take ownership within our own pillars, but we're also working collaboratively to support that athlete and figure out what they need when they need it. So, you know, for example, in our, in our setting here, and you know how a university setting is, it's just, it's right. utter chaos from September to, to March and everybody's got a million things to do and, and not that much time. But what we really try to do here at Brock is really carve out space for our, our integrated support team meeting so that every week, we're sitting down with the head coach, 
the strength and conditioning coach and the therapist, and we're going through our roster, talking about each player, you know, where are they at? What do they need? If we have any injured players uh, addressing any kind of return to play or, or modifications that they need so that at every point along the season, everybody's on the same page and the athletes are, are fully supported in that very collaborative type of environment. Those uh, putting together that wheel like that I call it, you know, you got the athlete in the middle, you got the spokes of each professional coming off of it. But a lot of folks don't recognize that you had those inner spokes from each professional to the next that are all working together, that are headed back to the athlete. Our number one goal is whether you're an independent practitioner, or you work in a, a university setting is the athlete. Mm-hmm. When you start there, it's hard to go wrong with whatever you're doing, well, you have to care about it. But, you know, if you don't care, that usually pops up really quick. And uh, people notice that. Let's talk a little bit, and I get in trouble sometimes on this show with folks talking their philosophy. You know, I don't want people to give away things that your institution or workplace might think is proprietary. But what's your philosophy? I'm going to give you three things. What's your philosophy on rest? I mean, rest, there's a trade-off between rest and load and you want to understand that the more you load an athlete probably the the more strategic that you're going to have to be with the rest periods uh for us depending on the sport like we for me personally i I work with our soccer teams which are fall sport teams and then we've got our hockey teams which are pretty much full year teams and whether the athlete is is in season or off season is going to play into how we plan in their their rest and, and recovery days I think too, like that's where monitoring performance and monitoring wellness can go a long way to help you, you know, be a little bit more objective in deciding how you're going to kind of sprinkle in those, those rest periods or, or when the athletes are, are ready for load or when they're, you know, you need to pull back and, you know, give them more time for recovery, give them more time for their academics. So that's, you know, in the, in the setting that we're in, there's the load of training, there's a load of practices and games of travel, but there's a huge load on them academically that we need to factor in from a recovery standpoint, because that has a, a massive amount of effect on, on how they perform and how they feel from a day-to-day standpoint. Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that in, in the universities, and it doesn't matter really, you know, all, it's really all across the, the, the world, the academic part is real. Oh yeah, big time. Athletes don't just go to go to college and not show up for class or not turn in work or, or whatever. They have a real responsibility to be great academic citizens. It takes a great amount of energy. And when we talk about energy, we talk about we talk about nutrition. So rest and then your uh, perspective on nutrition. I mean. If you listen to some of our other podcasts, you know we talk to nutritionists all the time or mm. quite a bit. But from a strength coach, what's your perspective on nutrition and, and where it fits with what you do? Yeah, well, nutrition is going to kind of really provide the energy that, that they're going to need to perform day in and day out. And you know, a lot of the, I guess, education that we try to provide our athletes is around the quality of food that they're taking in and the quantity of food, depending on, you know, whether you're a male athlete, a female athlete, whether you're competing in in a weight class sport like wrestling um, or just a a team sport where, you know, your weight doesn't factor into whether you can compete or not, or not that, that weekend. 
our general nutrition recommendations are, are going to vary a little bit depending on what the context of, of that athlete is. We have you know, very fre- frequently on our, our men's hockey side, for example, they tend to, to lose weight as the season goes because they're just their energy output is so high and right. they're, they're not taking in enough calories to match their, their energetic outputs. So they need to be encouraged to, to eat more, eat more frequently um, to make sure that they're, you know, not at the end of the season and, and they've lost several pounds of, of muscle or of just a, a body weight than they came in with. One of our guest uh, nutritionists who's been on with us uh, a couple times now and I always like hearing from her. She said uh, one of the biggest things she has to get across to most athletes she talks to is, is eat enough. Yeah. Are you eating enough? You know, then she goes to quality of food, but eating enough seems to be something I hear across the board from nutritionists and, and strength coaches like yourself alike. Yeah. And I think too, it's just, it really is uh, an issue that just athletes just assume that they're eat- they all say it too. They're, they're all like, oh, I eat so much. I'm eating all the time. But then when you ask them to fill out a three-day food log and you see that on a day where they were, they had a practice and a, a gym-based training session, you know, they ate like 1800 calories. You're like, it's not even close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looks like they're intermittently fasting or something. Yeah. And I had a young lady, she was a uh, cross country runner or actually a middle distance runner, just say it that way. So she ran every day, Yeah. but she was taking in 1200 calories a day. Scary. And, and I, I, w- I was like, uh, you need to do two things, eat and get in the weight room. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, what? I don't want to yeah. lift weights because I'm a runner. So yeah, well, and I mean, if you're in the endurance with the endurance athletes too, then you worry about stress fractures and, and all these things that can happen with them under fueling. Yeah. I tried to segue into, uh, the difference between working with females and males, especially in that nutrition part. And I don't, I don't want to go too deep into that because I do that with the, the nutritionist, but we do have, uh, you know, if we, if we're going to be honest in this profession, there's influences outside sport and in the media and, and everywhere that females have that males don't have. And it's for most athletes, by the time they get to university, most serious athletes have figured it out, male or female, specifically talking about females right now. They figured out, okay, I'm going to be in the weight room and these are the things I'm going to have to do. But when you do run into a situation like that, maybe you have a freshman come in or maybe you're doing a, a seminar somewhere and you get that question about, is it, and I, I'm surprised we still get this question, but I've heard, I heard it last week. Is it okay for women to lift weights? And I'm thinking to myself, who, who asked that question? That's yeah. what I think to myself. But understanding where they're coming from, where they're not in the same arena you and I are in, and they weren't brought up in, in necessarily brought up in the understanding of the importance of strength training, fueling, and those kind of things. How do you deal with that? Yeah, well, I think we always have just have to be aware of where the athlete's coming from and that there are those external influences of how they grew up, of social media, of what they're reading, of what they're hearing, of what their friends are talking about. And we have to, to a certain extent, kind of meet the athlete where they're at and Good not, point. you know, not try to kind of get up in, in arms and, and, and get too frustrated, you know, try to really understand where they're coming from first. And with the education, like one thing that I find with our, our high school female athletes is 
the athletes are friends with each other, but they're, they're friends with other non-athletes too. And trying to get them to realize that their needs as an athlete are different than their friend that doesn't, doesn't play sports. And you know, that, that you have to fuel yourself as an athlete differently than them. And that if you have goals to pursue your sport or, or to, I know, get better at, at what you're doing, then you need to fuel appropriately and train appropriately. And that, you know, that takes time. That doesn't happen overnight. But what really helps as well is when you've been able to be a part of a program for a few years as a coach and, and kind of, you know, get the older athletes who have gone through from freshman year all the way up right through your system where now these younger athletes are coming in and now they've got third and fourth year role models who can, you know, be advocates for, for what you're trying to educate as well, because they've gone through that process and maybe it took them a little bit longer because they didn't have those role models. But now you've got these younger women coming in to look up to, you know, their, their older peers and, you know, things tend to, to snowball a lot faster when they have those role models. A little bit of peer support. You got it. Yeah. As opposed to anything else. So, okay. I I don't, um, when I talk about uh, strength conditioning or performance, I don't, I don't, I don't split between male and female very often, although there are some obvious, you know, differences in the way you have to think about things. Sometimes for the most part, I think you approach my opinion only you approach training and performance and preparation uh, of any athlete the same way. I mean, the, the human body is still the human body. So our knees don't bend backwards. We still breathe oxygen, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like I, I think for me, when I'm looking at, at male and female athletes, um, you know, similar in that, you know, human, human being first. But what I find is if you have a, an equivalent, you know, we'll say grade 10 female and, and a grade 10 male, a big difference there is just going to be in the training age of those athletes. You could have yeah. a grade 10 female and they've never trained at all, but you could have a grade 10 male and he's already got, you know, three years of strength and conditioning under his belt. So right. the exposures to training and the exposures to coaching for these young females is just significantly less for males. So the approach is different, not because they're, they're females and because of their necessarily because of their biology in that regard, but just because their, their training age is so much lower. Like you said, uh, you have to meet them where they are yeah. and, and that training age. And I look at training ages where they are physically and what they've done physically in the training realm. And I look at also their training IQ, what they understand. I know some guys, they've been training for six years, but their training IQ is low. And it's because they've been getting mixed messages or they've, you know, gone slow or they've been injured a lot or whatever. It comes from a a lot of different things, but no, those are some great points. And let me uh, take a second, Vicky, and go ahead and uh, do a plug here real quick. We'll come right back. Performance Talk with Yule Gordon and Chris Costa is brought to you in part by Ground Level 4. GL4 is an athletic-focused performance consulting service dedicated to the success of athletes at all levels. Ready to progress and improve performance with the input of professionals? Book your initial consultation. Visit groundlevel4.com. Now join Yule and Chris with their guest for more from Performance Talk. Okay, Vicki. Let's get back to what we really like to talk about, and and that's the performance part. My third point I wanted to bring up was Olympic lifts or power lifts. 
any type of lift is, is always a tool. And we've always got lots of tools to accomplish the stimulus that we're, we're trying to get to get the, the targeted adaptation. Olympic lifts can be a great tool for, for power development. There's something that I use with our, our athletes here at Brock, but they're not the only tool I use. So you, you kind of have to figure out what, what's the best tool for the job. And if it's Olympic lifting, uh, then do that. If it's a loaded trap bar jump, then do that. The more tools that we have available to us to accomplish what we need just gives us more options because at a certain point, you're going to run into an athlete who, who can't Olympic lift. And now, now what are you going to do? What's your kind of plan B there? So there you go. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Olympic lifting, but it's like I said, it's just, it's a tool to a means. And tell me what you think about this, uh, because, you know, I just want to know anyway, you know, you, you get a hold of an athlete that, that just struggles with the mechanics of Olympic lifting, because there's specific mechanics for Olympic liftings. And then there's what I call Olympic style power lifts. Like you got your hang clean and it, that comes from in some way, shape or form. It comes from the, the snatch and the, the power clean and, and those things. But when they can't execute those movements, especially those overhead movements, or maybe the full lift from the ground to the clean position, what do you do? I mean, I, I know what you do, but your, your substitutions are, you know, go to a power platform and like you said, with uh, trap bar jumps and stuff like that. But what do you do? Yeah. So for my team sport athletes, we don't do any pulling or lifting from the floor. We'll do everything from a hip or a knee hang position. So that's, okay. that kind of takes care of any type of limitations there. But with my national team wrestlers, we do pull from the floor just based on their sport demands. It, it makes a lot, a lot right. more sense for them. You know, as far as limitations with catching, whether that's in the overhead position or whether that's in the, the front rack position with the clean. First, we try to, you know, figure out why they are limited in that range. Is it just from a motor control standpoint? They're just, they haven't mastered the technique yet and they're not, they're not really sure what you're asking them to do. And they, they're kind of, they just need more reps and that'll kind of take right. care of itself. Or, you know, you can check is, is there actually a mobility issue here, a joint restriction that, that needs to be addressed where maybe this isn't, isn't yeah. the, the best option for them. And then maybe we're just doing jump shrugs or pulls and we're not, and we're not catching with those athletes. Okay. The options out there, you know, we, we talk about, you know, moving athletes from one point in, in training to other points in training. And we talk about cycles and we talk about all kinds of stuff. I believe that there are really only four periods of training, preseason, in-season, postseason, and off-season. What you do within those, those periods from an old man's perspective then the strength coach can start breaking down stuff and putting it in whatever cycles they want. But the athlete, I, I don't put that kind of stress on them to understand what there's, okay, this is my, my cycle to build this and that. No, this is preseason. This is what I normally do. That's all I want them to know. Now there's, there's some like you, obviously, you know, you're now a strength coach. So you probably had a little bit more interest in what you were doing in preseason, but for the most part, generally speaking, Athletes need to, to have it made simple, not because they're not intelligent, 
but because they already have enough on their plate. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think when you're working with team sport athletes who do kind of have that, you know, traditional, I guess, four major phases of off-season, pre-season, in-season, and then transition phase or post-season, I think you'll always kind of get a range of how interested and, and engaged they are in the the whys behind what you're doing and when you're doing it. For me, I think just based on my personality and, and how I was with an athlete, like I, I do try to share the reasons behind what we're doing and, yeah. and what, what we're doing it, but I don't try to overload them either. There's a line where it's too much. And especially, you know, something that I try to keep in mind is if I'm trying to you know, coach, we'll just, we'll go back to Olympic lifting because we were just chatting about it. You know, coaching and learning the Olympic lifts is, is pretty cognitively intensive where the athletes have to be really yeah. mentally dialed in and, and focused on, on what they're doing. If it's something that they're just learning for the first time. So for me, I'm going to be kind of strategic with when I go about really diving into learning some of those Olympic lifts, because if I'm doing it at a time point where maybe the head coaches is teaching them a bunch of new systems during the preseason, for example, you know, they might just get oh. into kind of mental overdrive there. Not to mention that's usually the time of the year where school starting. So it's right. You, you want to kind of be aware of what that cognitive load is. But like I said, generally, I, I do try to educate the athletes as we go. And I'm, I'm pretty nerdy. So I, I like to explain things. And I think my athletes accept me for, for my nerdiness and, and are okay with me maybe going sometimes a little bit too far into detail. Well, you're obviously very confident in yourself and your abilities to refer to yourself as a nerd. <laughs> I'm kind of nerdy about it yeah. too. Just not as brave to yeah. say it. It's okay to be a nerd <laughs> when you're good at sports too, because you kind of have that balance. You, you can kind of balance <laughs> it out. huh? But anyway, one of the things I like to shift to about this time in, in the conversations is about how you feel and your experiences in the profession. So when I, when I, I'll give you, I'll give you the first question. Where do you think the profession is today as a profession and where do we need to be? Yeah. Your opinion only? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a big question. And it's, you know, for me, I still feel like quite a, a young coach in the game. And when I hear, you know, some, some veteran strength and conditioning coaches on and talk about kind of where the, the profession you, you know, used to be and, and where it is now, like, for me, I, I think there's a lot of really positive things with where we're at as far as, you know, the amount of information that, that coaches can share with each other. I think that's probably really accelerated the development of a lot of younger coaches yeah. like, like myself. Just having more access to information and having more access to some really amazing coaches. But at the same time, that's a double-edged sword because if you're a young coach, you might not have kind of built up that, that filter yet where you're not able to differentiate between, you know, what's good yeah. information and, and what's not great information, or just for the most part, there can be information that, or methods or, or training styles or whatever that are good in certain contexts, contexts and, and not in others. And as a young coach, it, it might just be harder to, to pick some things up in that regard. So I was very lucky and I try to encourage our, our younger coaches to, you know, have some older veteran coaches to bounce things off of. So that if you do see something on social media or that you're reading something that you can kind of ask them like, hey, like, what do you think about this? Where would I use this? And, you know, just making sure that they're having a clear idea of the quality of information that they're taking in. I would tell you that one thing about keeping us old guys around 
is that we can can usually uh, spot BS when we see it. Yeah, I don't doubt it. You know, you know, it, it's it's like okay, <laughs> I'm not the sharpest crayon in the box or the brightest pencil that play on words. You got that, <laughs> but that doesn't sound right. And if it doesn't sound right, sometimes you got to go with what your gut tells you. Yeah, I'm a keep it simple type of person. So in the profession, I like to see and hear younger strength coaches, younger professionals. You guys bring a lot to the table, but I like to hear you you reaching back or wanting to reach back and at least touching base with the old guys. The old guys, Vern Gambetta and those that all that that crowd, those are my old guys. And you know, I still reach back every now and again and pull up a book or something that I got. Or, or something from them that, that lets me go, huh, I should be paying this forward a little bit. Yeah. I mean, when with coaches like yourself who have thousands and thousands of, of hours under your belt in this field, there's just, there's incredible wisdom that comes with that, that you can't, you can't gain that from, from reading a book. I can't gain that from looking at social media. It just comes from hours on the floor, finding yourself in, in different scenarios and being you know, very conscious and intentful with going about those scenarios so that when that young coach does come with you and say, Hey, I got this challenge that you're like, yep, I've been through that many times. And, and here's some, some possible ways you can go about it. Yeah. The biggest thing that I tell young coaches and I always have is don't, don't be afraid to fail. Totally. Don't be afraid to get it wrong. Now there's a difference between failing and hurting someone. Of course. You have to tell some guys, Hey man, that that's probably not it's probably not a smart thing to be doing right now. It is 104 degrees and you talking about putting on, you know, flak vest and running up a hill. <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Not, not a good idea. But, you know, so, okay, that, that from a professional perspective, that's, that's good. From where do we need to go, your opinion is, go Vicky. I think there's been, you know, some, some pretty smart people within our profession just trying to bring together a little bit more consistent standards of practice and really, really kind of create that professional designation so that, you know, within our role, we're on that same level as a, as a therapist or, or whatever it might be. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's incredible amount that would have to get our profession to that level, but it's, to me, it's, ideally the direction that our, our profession does go into and, and that, you know, you, you need to reestablish how strength and conditioning is being taught at the undergraduate level, you know, creating more standardized graduate programs and just more consistency across countries uh, so that when you get a strength and conditioning coach in Canada, you know, they have a very exactly. similar background as a strength and conditioning coach in Australia or whatever it might be. I know Australia is working towards that and some of our friends over there that we talk to, Canada, the U.S., the governing bodies in, in you know, uh, even like Poland and, and, and Europe. And they're all, I think you guys are all on the, the right thought line, not thought line, thought line. Everybody's thinking the same. It, right now, it's just a matter of, okay, where do we start? Yeah. And there's, yeah, there's, there's one, th one thing to be talking about and there's a, another thing to kind of be able to bring it to life. And that's like, that's, that's a big challenge there. As our governing bodies, NSCA and, and, and such, you know, start to get it into the universities and establish standards. I'm saying this, ladies and gentlemen, Vicky is not saying it. I think they need to be 
bolder. Right. Don't step quite so lightly. Don't filter it in quite so long. Be a little bolder. You have people that are already able to do some of the things that you need done. But instead of waiting five years or, or seven years to, to kind of fold it into what you already do, you just need to pick a spot, chop it off, put it in. And then everybody that got affected by you chopping off whatever, put a grandfather clause in and say, hey, look, if you were born in 1918, you know, or something like whatever, then this doesn't apply to you. Moving forward, this applies. Yeah. I like that answer. I think our audience, I know our audience agrees with you. And we've had several listeners say, hey, why can't I take my, you know, strength conditioning, whatever, to Mexico? And it looks the same as as it does in Canada. What's the qualification or what's this or what's that? So that is a great point. And it is one I've heard a couple of times, but I like the way you put it when, when you said standards across the board and across the world. Yeah. Like what you said, kind of just making that someone at some point needs to kind of make that big step. There's recognition there that when you make a big change like that, there's going to be some growing pains along the way. It's likely yeah. not going to be this, you know, flick of the switch and now we're exactly where we want to be. There's going to be a, a period of transition, but you kind of have to accept that it's going to be a little bit probably rocky here. But at least we know yeah. we're going over the rocks in the right direction and we're not just standing pat and keeping everything the same. Yeah, well, that's the way we've always done it or... Let's keep it the same because we've always done it that way, have made a, a lot of things stagnant in history. And those who who have uh, adhered to those kind of thought processes have always been slow to, to act and react and sometimes to the detriment of whatever. So I'm hoping that the profession hears primarily a lot of the uh, younger professionals coming up now, uh, like yourself. I hope we hear you and and at some point we just say, hell, oh, you know, okay. You know, we can, we can either keep doing this where you have a lot of people who are good at it and professional at it and want to be at the forefront of it. But who's holding back who right now? The profession or the professionals? Yeah. And I don't think it's necessarily the professionals that don't want to push forward. Again, ladies and gentlemen, this is not Vicky. This is me. So... You guys ought to know me by now, but I think the profession it sometimes is a little bit, well, let's just, let's just say it for real, chicken, scared, <laughs> afraid, slow, however you want to say it. But uh, again, I'm covering Vicky here. That's not her opinion. That's mine. That's not the opinion of the show. That's Yule's opinion. So you can text me somewhere else. Yeah, well, you 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 right. you probably have a lot more insight on those pieces than I do, um, so I'm sure your your opinion is founded from your own experience. Well, some people would say, uh, "Who cares about my experience?" But I care about it, and I thank you for saying that. So let's go to let's go to the last, basically the last part of our show where I like to ask a little question called, "What's next?" What's next for Vicky Bendis? Am I saying your last name right? You are saying my last name right. Bendis. Yep. Thank you very much. <laughs> What's next for you in the realm of your professionally for yourself and personally professionally? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess coming up here for in the, our university, anyways, we got playoffs coming up for our hockey team. So, you know, diving into that, I'm I'm with our senior national team this year. So we've got world championships in April. So looking forward to that. And then, you know, big picture for me is currently doing my PhD. So chipping away at that. It's a, it's a part-time PhD, so very slowly chipping away, but very much enjoying the process of it. That's the way I've approached my PhD. It keeps swinging. Yeah. It does come down. It starts falling. So you'll get there. That's good. Go ahead. I'm sorry for the interruption. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I guess I don't have any kind of like clear in five years, this is kind of where I want to be. I'm always looking to develop myself personally and professionally and, you know, taking on projects and, and working with my teams in ways that are every year just trying to, to do things better than I did the year before. Okay, you can answer this one in, in as much detail as you would like. But ideally, for Vicky, what's the perfect scenario other than the one you're in right now? Understanding that where you are right now is what's right for you right now, and you're happy there and you're, you're all of that. Just talking about, eh. Yeah, I guess for me, there's a few things. So my dad, he loves giving advice. We all do. <laughs> when I was younger, there were kind of like three rules of your career of like that you had to check these three boxes for it to to be an okay career. So you had to be good at it. You had to enjoy it. And you had to be able to, to make a living. So if, if your career, if whatever you're doing kind of check those three boxes, then you're, you're doing okay. So wherever I end up finding myself, I, I have to be able to check those three boxes. Whatever scenario that I'm working in, a lot of it kind of comes down to the people that I'm working with, you know, working with people that I enjoy spending time with, that I can learn from, that I can collaborate with, that are going to challenge me. Those are the type of of people that I, I like spending time on and that as far as kind of the actual, you know, what I'm doing, that whatever I'm doing brings value to the organization that I'm working with and, and that I get gratification from it, that I what I'm doing is, is making some sort of tangible impact for the better, for whatever that might be. That's all great, but I need one thing from you. <laughs> you need to tell dad I'm going to steal that. Yeah, you, you go for it. He'll love that. He'll love that. <laughs> you need to tell him I'm, I'm going to use that. Okay, I'll let him know. <laughs> anyway, so as we're winding down here in, in this episode, our first episode, our 101st episode, first episode of season six, give us the advice to the young professional, just graduated, just walking in the door, first job. What does Vicky say to that individual? For the, for the one that's- Shut up and get in the corner. No, so wait, for the, so you're talking about the, <laughs> the, the one that, like not the intern, the one that's already kind of got their, their job here? Yeah, already been an intern, already that's got a job. And they're walking in, they're a paid professional now. So the first piece is just try to build those relationships with whoever you're working with. You know, that could be the head coach, that could be the assistant coaches. That's for sure, obviously the athletes. But if you're working in a bigger organization, try to connect with people, you know, outside of your your little bubble too. If you work in a university, connect with some other professors, connect with other therapists. The more you're able to kind of build those relationships, uh, the more resources you'll have kind of available to you and the more difficult it is for, for you to be replaced. <laughs> but that's a good point. 
it's uh, that brings a kind of a smile to my face, but that's part of creating value for yourself. You know, you you step into somewhere, and if I'm talking to the professor in 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 the science department, and then all of a sudden I find out one of my athletes is having an issue in one of those classes, it's easier for me to go be a value added proposition for both the professor and the athlete and bring that together than it is if if I haven't left my office or I'm sitting in the chair. So that's a great, great point for the new professional walking in the door and the intern. Unfortunately, you still have to go sit in the corner. (laughs) I'm just teasing folks. We get to this point in the show and we could always go on and, and dig up more and find more, but I can say two things. We're going to call you back. Okay. Anytime. Hey, we're going to call you back and we're going to catch up with you and see where you are next time that we talk to you. And the second thing is, it's been great having you. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. And I hope that when we call you, you don't just scroll down or or swipe forward or whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) No. Hope we get to have you back on the show and we'll look forward to that. Do you have any questions for me? You know, I just want to say thank you for, for inviting that to have me on. I have so much respect and appreciation for podcast hosts. I know there's a, a crazy amount of work that, that you must put in on, on the front end and the back end to, to make this show come to life. And the, the value that you provide to the rest of us professionals is, you know, truly uncomparable. So thank you for, for what you do and for you know, asking me to, to come hang out with you today. Well, the value that uh, we bring to this show is having valuable guests on like you, Vicki, and we are glad you accepted, and we hope you come back and see us soon. All right. Thanks, you all. That's it for another episode of Performance Talk. Come back next time as Yul and Chris welcome their next guest to the show to discuss what's going on in performance. For sponsorship information, or if you would like to be part of the show, leave your inquiry at theperformancetalk at gmail.com. That's theperformancetalk at gmail.com. Be sure to check in for future episodes of Performance Talk. Performance Talk.